Carol and Stephen's life together was perfect. I've got to get going. Right this second. Hey, baby. Hey, sweetie. I love you. There's one small problem. Hi, I'm Ralph. I'm his brother. We're twins. Are your parents, um... Yeah. It can tear them apart. I think you're gonna let me know that everyone in your family's a midget. They're not midgets, Carol. They're dwarfs. Whatever. Or bring them together. Hey, welcome. I'm Steven. Canal Plus and Langley Productions proudly present command performances from Kate Beckinsale, Matthew McConaughey, Patricia Arquette, and in the role of a lifetime, Gary Oldman. Tiptoes. You like it a juice? You like it a... Well, I was very confused by this juice. I mean, I gotta tell you, George, this uh, Tim Allen talking dog movie took a really weird fucking turn very early on. Come to think of it, I don't remember seeing Tim Allen or talking dog in it at all. Uh, I watched 30 minutes of the Shaggy Dog, and uh, there was no talking dog, because the dog fucking talks in thought. We hear the dog's inner monologue like fucking Nine Lives. So it's not a talking dog movie, it's a thinking out loud dog movie wait but he i guess so it's just his inner monologue so he does he's not talking to any of the other characters correct yeah we just hear his thoughts he can't talk he's not a talking dog he's just a dog a shaggy dog that sucks oh yeah, yeah. uh welcome to saturday night jive where we talk about saturday night live and saturday night live related movies so if you uh remember our last episode we teased that we would be watching 2006's the shaggy dog but uh, i watched that uh two weeks ago now and I 20-minute ruled that puppy hard. I will say uh, Shaggy Dog is a very bad movie. Not bad. Like, if it was bad, it might be fun. But it's just dull as all hell. Uh, Tim Allen is in a world full of cliches. Uh, he's an overworked dad. His kids hate him. Uh, he never has time for his wife. Uh, his kids are being rebellious. Spencer Breslin wants to be in a musical rather than play football. Uh, and then it gets worse when he turns into a dog somehow. Like, somehow that makes it Wait worse. Wait a minute. This dog is afraid that his son might be gay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a very homophobic dog. But the Shaggy Dog does have SNL alums Robert Downey Jr., uh, Jane Curtin, and Laura Keitlinger. So, but that does, that doesn't make it good. You no, know, no, that, yeah, we established that. That's why... Why I didn't watch any of it because I got a frantic text from you saying please pick something else. So I rolled on my my thing my my Excel sheet and I got the movie we did watch today. Uh, fucking tiptoes. Yeah, tiptoes from uh well it produced in two thousand two. I I believe this movie was released like uh in secret like years after it was actually filmed. Uh, this movie features no SNL cast members, but I will allow it because it does feature David Allen Greer, uh, who should have been an SNL cast member and hosted twice. Uh, yeah, no, I, we've said that many times that he, he feels like, you know, sort of an honorary SNL cast member anyway. Uh, but no, this was just on my list because it's a weird fucking movie that I've always wanted to see, always been curious about. Uh, I have some weird experience with uh, the director, Matthew Bright, uh, have you ever seen The Forbidden Zone? No. Uh, it was the Oingo Boingo movie, which is the only reason I uh, watched it, because it had an Oingo Boingo scene in it. Uh, but uh, Matthew Bright is an actor in that weird, obscure movie that nobody's ever heard of. And then he went on to write and direct Tiptoes. Well, uh, he's credited with directing Tiptoes. He's not credited with writing Tiptoes because he was able to get his name taken off. Do you know who this movie was credited as being written by? Is it like a name that sounds like a dick? Bill Wiener. <laughs> yeah. He's like... I just figured. Yeah, apparently... Okay, so Tiptoes, the movie, um, it's a terrible film. But apparently the director's cut was, according to Peter Dinklage, gorgeous. But the studio uh, cut it down and made it the, the mess that was eventually released. Uh, the director fought to get his name taken off of it. The director's guild apparently said he couldn't do that. So he's credited with directing the movie, but the Writers Guild said, yeah, you can take your name off of it. And he's like, yeah, put Bill Wiener up on there, on the screen. And well, you'll, I'll, go, I'll get to my few notes that don't really matter in a while, but 
You mentioned Peter Dinklage is in this film. Yes, he's not in No Holds Barred from our last episode. <laughs> but no. he is he is actually in this movie. But this fucking floors me, because I knew this as the movie where Gary Oldman plays a little person by walking on his knees. And that's why I've always wanted to say, like, how bad must that be? It's It's got to be so cringeworthy. Honestly, not as much as I expected, having now watched it. But uh, just... I didn't realize just how many, like, actual legitimate little people were in this movie. Like, you could have cast one of them, easily. Oh, yeah, like... <laughs> you cast every little person actor working in Hollywood at this time. One of those guys could have played the character. Peter Dinklage is much closer in age to Matthew McConaughey. I was... I would, I would believe he's his twin brother more than Gary Oldman. And I would say Peter Dinklage is, without a doubt, the finest little person actor who has ever lived. And yet they're like... Certainly he's the best in this movie. Yeah, and, and yet they're like, Hey, Gary Oldman, why don't you get down on your knees? We'll give you a big hunchback. You'll look like a dwarf. It'll be fine. Because that's the the weird thing that... I, people don't really talk about that much when it comes to, like, uh, whitewashing and stuff like that. Where it's like, you know, when you... They, they, like, there's, there's a thing, one thing about, like, you know, playing black people in blackface, and that's one thing. But also it's like... If you hire a white actor when you could have hired a black actor, it's also just a practical thing of like depriving that black actor a role that he should have gotten. And you got all these little people around here like going like, hey, I should have my big shot in a movie. Why is Gary Oldman here? Uh, yeah, but apparently uh, Dinklage said that, okay, this movie, like, this movie makes no fucking sense, right? <laughs> like, could you make heads or tails out of the plot of Tiptoes? Okay, well... First off, describe no, describe to me the plot of Tiptoes. Because, well, that's the thing. I don't know who the main character of Tiptoes is. Is it the woman who's pregnant with a baby who might be a little person? Is it Matthew McConaughey who's ashamed of his family because they're all little people? Or is it Gary Oldman who's the little person who's just... There? I don't even... I guess there? I I don't know. Like It seems like the movie's following different characters at different times. And then, like... I guess the the Peter Dinklage thing is always a subplot, but sometimes that feels like that's the main movie. I don't know. I don't know who I'm supposed to even be following here as a protagonist. Yeah, no. One of my notes, I, I, for the listener, I watched this movie a week ago because Ben didn't realize that uh, my schedule changed and we were going to move to a different day. So I watched Tiptoes uh, a week ago. So it's not as fresh in my mind, but I did take notes. And one of my notes says... There is absolutely nothing to the part of Rolf, the one that Gary Oldman plays. This movie is about Matthew McConaughey. It would have been so much better to cast a real dwarf in this part for a multitude of reasons. One, yes, Gary Oldman looks weird in this movie. It, I got used to it, but there are some scenes where it's like they cut to Gary, like the scene where uh, the the guy who's fucking the dwarf who Gary Oldman also fucks. I couldn't figure out their relationship, but Gary Oldman gets in a fight with a, a tall guy and you'll see like a close up of a, a fist going into Gary Oldman's face. And then a shot of an, a guy punching an actual little person whose back is turned to the camera. And I was like, Oh, that, that looks real bad. But also it's just like, it's a nothing part. Like, you would think like, oh, Gary Oldman's trying to win an Oscar in this role, you know, like, oh, you're transforming, you're, you know, you're doing the Rain Man thing, you know, you're you're playing somebody completely different from you. But there's nothing to this fucking part. Like, what made well, him sign on to this? <laughs> when you mention that, because that is clearly why Gary Oldman's doing this. And it feels like a parody of that. Like, this is a thing that was cut from Tropic Thunder, <laughs> like a pit where Robert Downey Jr. tried to play a little person. <laughs> Like, that's what this feels like, but in real life. Oh, 100%. You you cannot convince me that Gary Oldman took this role for any other reason other than I think I could win an Oscar doing that. And and from you mentioned Peter Dinklage said there was an original cut of the movie that was, I, I guess, much more mature. It, I don't know, because th- th- there's a story about that, that he got locked out of the editing room and they, they had to do their own edit. And I'm wondering, like, what would the original movie of this Versus what this, because this was, it's not like this is like a dumb comedy version of anything, or it seems like it was made smarter than it was, or dumber than it Like, I don't see the change, like where the change would have been that would make this any kind of like studio friendly. Yeah, unless 
the studio cut is all just the alternate takes where everyone's a terrible actor, then maybe they fucked it up royally. But no, this movie looks like a huge mess no matter what you do to it. Um, but apparently Dinklage said the the studio or the original cut was gorgeous, and then when they screened it with the studio cut, everybody was like, "This is the worst piece of shit ever." But did you? I read an interview with Matthew Bright where he was quoted as saying he conceived the movie when he was eighteen, a rock a raucous comedy about little people fucking each other is what he said. But that's not the movie either. No, well, and I kept thinking back to the last movie we watched dedicated entirely to little people, Under the Rainbow, and how, like, this movie is, I mean, I, I almost want to commend it by saying, like, it's trying to present little people as, like, just regular-ass people that might live in your town or live around you, and not, like, bitter, dressed like elves and farting or whatever, you know, whatever, like you, you're used to seeing little people in movies. And then you cut to Under the Rainbow and it's like they're hanging from the chandeliers and shit. Yeah, well, little people can do anything um, other people can do except star in a movie about the little people experience. And that's, I just, I can't imagine. I keep thinking of like, in, in any given scene, he's standing around like five other little people actors are all going like, why can't I just be that guy? Yeah, uh, well, uh, one of the movies I put on my list as a cheat pick that doesn't have any SNL cast members in it is I Am Sam. <laughs> because that's Oh my god. That's kind of, well, I have the other sister, so. That's kind of the same thing. I remember watching I Am Sam and seeing they have Sean Penn and then a bunch of actually like mentally challenged actors. And I'm just like, what? What's going on in between the scenes, you know? And because Sean Penn is out mentally challenging all of the actual mentally challenged people, like they seem like, hey, yeah, like we're like just dudes, like just hanging around. And Sean Penn's like, I just pooped my pants. And I, well, I guess it's not, it's not too far off of like, because I feel like the first one of those was Daniel Day Lewis in My Left Foot. Yeah. Like that was sort of like that became sort of the standard for like the I'm going to do a drastic change to play a role of somebody like this. And and this is kind of as ridiculous as that, I think. I mean, at least visually. Yeah, but like there aren't other people with cerebral palsy hanging around Daniel Day-Lewis in my left foot. No. I think that's where it gets like really, really icky because like on the set of Tiptoes, they yell cut. You know, Peter Dinklage, maybe he lights up a cigarette. Gary Oldman gets off of his knees and goes, oh, yeah, really tough being an actor, huh? Oh, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, Jesus Christ. And Gary well, Oldman I don't know. stands up and goes, oh, okay, Michael J. Anderson. Yeah, what are you having for lunch? Because I read that, too, that he did it on his knees, which, I mean, makes sense if you watch it. But, like, I just, like, how do you, how do you act on your knees for that long? I... I would start to ache. I feel like that would just, like to, I don't know, that would have been really difficult, I think. Yeah, he's like, oh man, my joints hurt. Ooh, I'm going to use that because uh, don't little people, don't their joints hurt a lot? Yeah, well, I've been, I've been walking around on my knees for three days. I feel just like you, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> I, and he defended the movie. Peter Dinklage defended the movie so we can enjoy. It's also a shitty movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, despite the fact that, like, it... <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say problematic because, like, you know, who am I to judge? I'm not a little person. But, like, it's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked up that he's playing a little person. Out Aside from that fact, this movie makes no goddamn fucking sense. Well, you mentioned that, uh, I believe his character's name is Rolf. Yeah. Gary Oldman's character. You mentioned he's kind of a useless role. And this is where I think the re-edit, because the, well, I want to start at the very end of the movie. Where, like, Kate Beckinsale and, and Gary Oldman's characters are just together all of a sudden, like, randomly. And that feels like a second act break, twist. Like, oh, they're together now, and then it becomes a love triangle sort of thing. And, like, that seems like that's what he must have been in an earlier cut, and that's why his character adds something to the narrative. You can have, like, this kind of three-way thing. And then they just made that the ending and cut that thread, I think. That's an interesting theory, because, yeah, no, I definitely want to talk about the ending, because um, I, one of my last notes says, wait, there's only seven minutes left of this shit? Like, 
nothing's happened, but it seems like something's about to happen. And then I think I like turned away or maybe I looked on my phone for a second because my next line just says, wait, what? She's kissing him? And now we're at credits? You know, no, I, I thought the same thing. And just as I was putting it together, my, my first thought was, well, that should be an instigator of story, not the end of the story. Well, it, and I'm thinking there's that had to be an instigator of a plot line they didn't want in the movie. I don't know because, okay, yeah, well, now we're jumping straight to the end of the movie. But at the end of this movie, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale, they have a dwarf baby. And they're getting into uh, a lot of fights. This is like the last 10 minutes of the movie. They're getting into a book. We haven't described, did we even mention, I mean, we just started talking about little people. Did we mention this is a movie about little people? Well, no, like, explain the plot of the movie. I can't fucking understand the plot of this movie. It, it's Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he's going to have a baby with Kate Beckinsale, but he's the only non-dwarf person in his family. His whole family's dwarves. Kate Beckinsale does not know this at all, even though she's carrying his child. Okay, we'll talk about that. But in the, the last 10 minutes of the movie, she has the baby. And then I guess they're having so many fights that she goes and moves in with Gary Oldman in his, like, cottage in the Cabin woods. in the woods? Yeah, and he's living with Peter Dinklage, who's fucking Patricia Arquette, that he just met on the street. So they're all, like, you know, two little people and Patricia Arquette living together. Kate Beckinsale's like, hey, uh, I, me and Matthew McConaughey are fighting. Here's my baby. I'm going to live with you. Matthew McConaughey comes and he's like, so what? You're just going to live with Rolf now? And she's like, yeah. And then you can come see the baby. So she's going to be living with Gary Oldman. And then the last scene of the movie, they're kissing. And she says goodbye to Matthew McConaughey. Like, I think they break up. That's the end of the story, I think. Unless maybe the third act was supposed to be them getting back together. Well, see, that's the thing. If you just swap the them kissing scene and then... I mean, I guess you'd have to have another scene or two in between, and then you get to Matthew McConaughey drives up. Doesn't that? I mean, none of this, none of this has importance or anything. But like, doesn't that scene feel like it has more weight if they've already had an affair and he's there and he's aware of it? But it's like they're better parents to my child, so I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna you know, like. I feel like all of that works more if they've already had an affair before. Then I think that works better than main character's love interest kisses his brother for no reason whatsoever. And then that's just the end of the movie. But it just seems like such an obvious edit to me. But I, I mean, I could be wrong. I also don't care because this is Tiptoes and I'm never watching this piece of shit again. Because like, what if that was the end of like Sleepless in Seattle? Meg Ryan just fucking makes out with Tom Hanks's brother who is like in the background of some scenes. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, have you ever seen uh, Buford's Beach Bunnies? Oh, yeah, it's my favorite movie of all time. You've never seen it? No, then. I don't know what this is. It's on my list. It's one of the only movies starring Tom Hanks' brother. Oh, I didn't even know he had a brother. Oh, no, he does. He has a brother who looks, like, bizarrely just like him, and he plays him, like, uh, when he, when they want to do, like, Woody from Tony Story, but not, but Tom Hanks can't do it. His brother does it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he's in a movie called Buford's Beach Bunnies about a guy who's, a he's terrified of women, so he's a virgin, so his, uh, his dad, uh, puts out a bounty for his virginity and is gonna pay women so much money if they can bed his son, right, well, played by Tom Hanks' brother. Stay tuned for that next week. <laughs> I mean, it's on my list. I've just been, I've been obsessed with it for years. I've always wanted an excuse to watch it, so we might be watching that someday. Yeah, well, okay, so Tiptoes. Um, yeah, so Kate Beckinsale's getting married to a man. She doesn't know that his parents and entire family are little people. She's ready to give him a fucking blowjob in the middle of her studio at the drop of a hat. Has yet to meet a single member of his family. Yeah, that's, that's so weird. There's so many lines in this movie where I'm like, wait, what are these people's relationships? Like, there's one point where, um... <laughs> she's pregnant and Matthew McConaughey is like it's not too late to start thinking about adopting and I'm like well one it is too late to start thinking about adopting she's already pregnant see but you read that line as as incongruous I read that line as he's treating abortion as like a foregone conclusion that statement like we're gonna get rid of this baby right now and then adopt well that's how she takes it too because her He's like, it's not too late to start th to think about adoption. And then she's like, well, I'm not one of those anti-abortion people. 
I was well, that's a fucking leap. He was just talking about adoption. Oh, but that's right. You are pregnant. So for adoption to be a viable resource, we would also have to murder this baby that's already on the way. Uh, well, I think I wrote uh, the only line I wrote down from this movie. Uh, in fact, you don't have, have a guess as to what it was. Uh, it's probably my note directly after that. You had a circle jerk with a bunch of little people. I'd love to see that. Yes, that is exactly what I have in my notes. <laughs> that's that's the same scene. And, uh, no, that that whole scene. I have. Yeah, it's not too late to, to start thinking about adoption. I'm not one of those anti-abortion people. You had a circle jerk with a bunch of little people, and then, um, I think they're still talking about adopt adoption and abortion, and. He's just like, you're not trying to make a political statement. I'm like, what a peculiar thing to say. <laughs> you're not just trying to make a political statement with talking to your uh, soon-to-be mother of your children about abortion, are you? No, I'm not trying to get political. I'm saying you got a baby in your belly and I don't want it in there. Yeah, it's... That sounded... That came across like an M. Night Shyamalan line, you know? Like, there's just there's that unhuman, the happening-style dialogue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and then I got I got notes after that. But first, we've got to talk about this fucking movie. All right, so <laughs> Kate Beck and Sal Matthew McConaughey, they're together. Uh, Gary Oldman plays Rolf. Rolf is a dwarf, and they're uh, twin brothers. Again, she... Which I looked this up. This has happened once in real life. Um, yeah, I... Where there was a twin, but one was a... Yeah, I, I looked it up, too. Apparently, this, this can physically happen, uh... Dwarves can have non-dwarf children, and there I guess there has to be some, uh, the dwarf gene in your family, because you can be, like, a carrier of it, but not be a dwarf yourself. So, like, you know, regular-sized people can give birth to dwarf babies, dwarf ba- and vice versa. Yeah, but no, I mean, specifically the idea of, like, there being twins, but one of them being a little person? Okay. That's only happened, like, twice, I think. Well, I mean, it, it seems like a real big coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I think when the doctor delivers a a set of twins, one being a dwarf, he's not like, ah, oh, no, this is like one in every fifty. Well, twins themselves are relatively rare. Dwarves themselves are relatively rare. So to have dwarf twins, I, that's a that's a notable thing. Well, Mrs. McConaughey, uh, the good news is you'll be able to tell them apart. <laughs> you don't get that much with twins, but these ones, I think you'll be able to deci- decipher. Which one's uh, the wolf. bad news is uh, state law says we got to throw this one in the sewer so it'll come back years later as some kind of penguin monster. Uh, all right. Okay. And then, so Matthew McConaughey, he goes off to firefighter training camp. And he's going to be gone for a week at firefighting training camp. And then Kate Beckinsale, she's just at home <laughs> with her paintings. And then up, up, out show, uh, Rolf shows up and he's like, hey, I'm looking for my brother, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, by the way, I'm a dwarf. And uh, I guess as you can clearly see, you can clearly see. standing in front of you. Uh, and then she's like, oh, so you're uh, his brother and your parents are dwarves. Hey, uh, wouldn't it be possible for the, the baby that's inside my belly to be a dwarf? And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be totally possible. And she's like, well, I have to go confront Matthew McConaughey at firefighting training camp. Firefighting training camp. You mean them standing by like a like a pond in the in the, the park? And he's like, "This is how you use your regulator. Don't put oil in it, just air." And it's like, "Well, yeah, I figured." Yeah, I'm trying to think of the things that I normally just put air in that I would at any point mistake for oil. Like, all right, guys, before we get into the scuba suits, just remember. Oxygen goes in your lungs, not oil. You cannot breathe oil. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's getting warmer. I gotta set up my air conditioner. What do you What do you put through this here? Uh, a big can of oil. <laughs> but he's at firefighting training camp, and and she says he'll be back in a week. So that implies that you know he's not coming home in between firefighting training camp. He's like staying there. Maybe they have like a cabin or something at firefighting training camp. But then she's able to drive there in like an hour. And confront him about his uh, the dwarf family that she didn't know about. So I'm just confused of why he's why he's staying at firefighting training camp. Well, I got the impression I could be wrong. There was a scene right before they go to the party where, uh, uh, like in the middle, where the the, the party for the, the wealthy uh, little people, where he invites two random skanks to the the little people party. 
I thought the implication there was that he was fucking one of those skanks. But then they never show back up. Again, the movie makes no sense. I think he's at firefighting training camp, which is like, you know, the next town over. And he's telling Kate Beckinsale, oh, yeah, I can't see you for a week because I'm busy training firefighters. Because it's bullshit if she's able to just drive there like the, the same day that Rolf shows up and yell at him before the sun fucking goes down. It's not like she was driving for two days. And then look, I he's going to a little people party. He's drunk with two random whores that he's just in the fucking woods with. You're not in the woods with two random ladies unless you're fucking them. And then he goes, "Y'all ladies want to go to a party?" And then which Kate is Beckins- like a weird, insidious thing because he knows Kate Beckinsale is going to be there, right? And then he sees Kate Beckinsale at the party, and he's like, "Like nothing's happened. Like they're at that party." She's the one who's uh, being politically correct about little people because there's a, you know, there's a big thing where, you know, Kate Beckinsale, she's all mad because uh, she finds out Gary Oldman's a dwarf. And she's like, "Uh, I can't believe you never told me that your whole family was midgets. And he's like, don't say midgets, say dwarves. And then at the party, somebody says uh, midgets and she's like, they're actually, they're called dwarves or they're called little people. And I'm like, well, when did your opinion change? Like the last well, scene, mean, you were angry that Matthew McConaughey came from a family of dwarves. And then in this scene, you're like, hey, let's be politically correct around dwarves. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to trace the the layers of, of like when people got more or less sensitive to dwarfism. I want to talk about Kate Beckinsale's lucky hat. Oh, I did read about the lucky hat. Because I mentioned earlier that this movie was recut because they kicked the original director, uh, Matthew Bright, out of the studio. Apparently, the fights began because Kate Beckinsale said, I will do this movie for scale, for industry minimums, if I can wear my lucky hat. And Matthew Bright said, okay. And then the first thing the studio said was, get her to take that fucking hat off. And he's like, no, it's the only reason I can afford her to be in this movie. She keeps the hat on. I don't remember her ever wearing a hat in a scene. She wears the hat when she confronts Matthew McConaughey at firefighting training camp. Oh, is that that? Okay, that was her lucky hat then. That was her, because yeah, that is the image I saw of Kate Beckinsale's quote-unquote lucky hat. (laughs) Which apparently she wanted to wear through the entire film. Because there's just so many layers to this where Kate Beckinsale makes decisions like that based on whether she could wear a lucky hat. Fucking, they're like, yeah, you could do it. And she does it just to be able to wear a lucky hat on screen. And the studio's like, fuck you, no lucky hat. And that's basically what leads to, like, a movie that might have been good being edited into one of the worst, supposedly worst movies ever made. I don't think this movie might have been good. (laughs) There's no. I'm not saying, I just mean there's a hypothetical edit of this film that is more closer to the director's vision where that, that actors have seen it and have said... that was a much better version we could have gotten that version instead we got a version that people call the one of the worst movies ever oh yeah this is definitely one of the worst movies ever made i it's just from seeing i wouldn't say that i don't know but like it's not good but i wouldn't say worse no and it's it's only fun bad in parts i mean the sight of gary oldman in like a little a little person motorcycle is kind of funny. There's some scenes where, like, he's sitting on the couch, and you can tell that he's, like, sitting in the couch with little fake legs. I mean, to me, it's going back to, like, the, uh, you know, the Tropic Thunderness of it. Every time they would kind of, like, swoop in on him a little bit, where he'd do something like, like, make, like, a wistful look and say something, say a line, or when he's taking care of the baby. Like, all those, like, shots that seem designed for the Oscar montage, that's every time I fucking laughed. I could not, that's when it, it, it lost me completely. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And then the lengths that they had to go to make Gary Oldman look like a dwarf. Like, because they give him the hunchback. Uh, I'm guessing he probably lost weight for the role because he's very, very skinny. Um... And he, he's on his knees and, and all this shit. And then, yeah, sometimes they have to manufacture the couch around him. At, at one point, someone would have had to say, hey, instead of spending three hours getting Gary Oldman to look like a little person, let's just Peter Dinklage as Rolf. I mean, the only thing I can think of, and they also, I think they, they do make up his face in a way that just does not come across in close-ups. It looks like a fucking... 
like a ventriloquist dummy or something. Yeah, he almost looks like not human in some scenes, like in some shots. But but here's my my take on the only thing I can it's it's cynical, but the only thing I can think of is Gary Oldman is what brought the funding for the movie. We have a, we're making a movie with Gary Oldman in his, in the lead that may have Oscar potential. That gets you your funding. What gets? He also got McConaughey. McConaughey. This was like the peak of McConaughey, two thousand two. Yeah, this was the like the McConaughey, I guess. Well, the McConaughey came later when he started doing Oscar movies. This, but this was like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, Matthew McConaughey, Fool's Gold, McConaughey. Like this was like when a fucking Matthew McConaughey could open a movie. Yeah, I don't know. I. Did he get to wear his lucky shoes? Maybe, maybe he didn't have his lucky shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Oldman borrowed his lucky shoes. Yeah, this. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more implausible this movie existing. Like, is, this, is it possible this is like a Mandela effect thing? Like this will just disappear off our hard drives after we, the next time we look at it? Like it's not even a real movie? Well, the fact that this movie was made is ridiculous. And then just the fact that the movie was released is ridiculous. I mean, I'm guessing... Some movies don't have to get released, right? Like, they couldn't have possibly thought, like, well, you know. They canceled Batgirl, but they never canceled Tiptoes? I mean, like, I guess, you know, hey, I guess, you know, put it on DVD. Someone's going to buy it because, you know, I'm a Matthew McConaughey completist or this Gary Oldman dwarf movie looks pretty good. Maybe I'll pick it up at the Walmart bin. So you're going to get a couple bucks off of it. But, yeah, I you can't release this shit in the theaters. I, I didn't read that. This did this get released theatrically? I believe it had a theatrical uh, release, not a big one, but I believe it was released in theaters. Because yeah, this ah uh, yeah, I mean I would have loved to see this in theaters, but no, I I would argue this movie is unreleasable. Like the the movie that I watched last week should not have been seen. Like this should be a day the clown cried situation. Put this shit in Jerry Lewis's vault. No one sees and it. It gets released twenty years after he's dead. Yeah, no one sees it until Gary Oldman is long off this fucking planet. Now you put in that uh, that bunker with the the what is it scotch or whatever in the John Malkovich movie. Yeah, yeah. That gets opened hundred years. Bust this open so my great 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 grandchildren can have a good laugh. Um, I wanna I wanna talk about the the little people party because there is a scene where Gary Oldman is looking for Sally. Uh, and Sally is like, I don't know who Sally is. She's another little person who Gary Oldman like dated in high school. And I guess they still pal around together, maybe date a little bit, but she's dating some other guy. I can't, no one's relationship is clear in this film, but Gary Oldman, he goes in to the party looking for Sally. We then cut to Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale hugging. We then cut to Gary Oldman just looking around. And then he walks out and he says, I can't find her. And then he goes into another room and Sally is fucking David Allen Greer. Oh, by the way, uh, not because of this uh, little person lady, but the other one. There's a scene at the very beginning of the movie where they're at like that convention hall. Where it's like all, all, they're all there. And uh, one one of them says, like, looks at the other, did you, did you see your tits? And that just made me think. And now I have this search in my Google history. Have there ever been midgets that got breast implants? Well, has there? And apparently, I, I couldn't find any. I didn't want to go look up, like, straight up, like, li- like little person porn. But, like, I, I just, I got, I, I feel like that's... That's not a thing, I guess. Don't I looked it up pretend it's like, it's... like you didn't go look at little person porn. Well, no, not just to find implants, but no, I just, I, I couldn't find, it didn't see, it seemed like a lot of other people were asking that same question and getting the same sort of nebulous poss- answer, which is possibly, no, it doesn't happen. Well, I just, I want to talk about David Allen Greer in his movie. So he's fucking Sally. And then Gary Oldman sees this and he's like, oh, and he leaves. And then Matthew McConaughey is like, oh, what happened to Rolf? Kate Beckinsale's like, oh. He just saw Sally fucking David Allen Greer and he's really broken up about it. How does she know any of this? Like, she just saw Gary Oldman leave. That's how bad this movie is. I just wanted to point out that, like, Gary Oldman walks into the party, looks from side to side, walks out, says, I can't find Sally. Then he just walks in another room. She's fucking David Allen Greer. And Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, yeah, Gary Oldman's heart is broken and that's why he left the party. 
And there's a couple things about this. The first being, they're just fucking like, I think in like the kitchen. It's like there's a party going on in several rooms of the house, and one of them, in the same level as all the other ones, just dedicated to these two people fucking. Well, and then who, who is David Allen Greer in this film? That was going to be my second point. Who, because he's like the MC at the the convention hall thing, and he's a junior, so I'm thinking he's like Matthew McConaughey. He has a little person parent that you know maybe is involved in this community was a, I, that makes him like a celebrity among this community yeah well could, you see david Unger briefly at the very beginning and he's like yeah he's introducing like i don't know what it is like a little like a little person event or something and i think he's just introducing like the other speakers and he's like oh, okay and now next up is this person who's going to talk about something but then he's just at the little person party too <laughs> yeah i don't know it's like who is he it would be you know, it would be different if, and I, maybe this is insensitive, but like, don't they have like whole towns that are just like little people run and they like live in them and like the houses are built to their size and everything? I don't know about towns, but I think houses. I think they, I think they do. They have like whole complexes where like, it's essentially like a little mini town where people live who are all, they're all little people and all the accommodations are made for them. And I think this might've been more interesting if it was set in one of those communities and like you're like living in on their level and like it would make more sense that there'd be like a group there'd be you know people around them there'd be you know a, a community of, of them and and the people that that you know sympathize with them it would make sense that like they'd have like a celebrity that was david allen greer that would just hang out with them sometimes and just live in the town with them <laughs> i guess i don't or maybe he's fucking one of them so like he's just hanging around you know i don't well who was sally do you do you have a beat on sally at all other than being an ex-girlfriend of Gary Oldman, no, that's all. I mean, I don't know that there needed to be more than that. Okay, but she's not dating. They have an on-again, off-again relationship. I guess it's just on-again, off-again. Yeah, because that's the scene about the circle jerk with the little people with Matthew McConaughey. He's, he's talking about, uh, oh yeah, Rolf had sex before I did. Uh, he was he was fucking Sally in high school. And uh, I used to play doctor with him and his little people friends. And that's where the... The aforementioned circle jerk line comes in. Um, I it was better without the context. It was better as it was like, <laughs> that's a that's a line in this. And where did it come from? Nobody knows. In this movie, Kate Beckinsale fantasizes about Matthew McConaughey having a circle jerk with a bunch of little people. That's just a scene well, that it's, happens. It's to the point where I I. I I don't think I can in good conscience put Forbidden Zone on my list because, like, that would be torturous for you to watch that. But just how, like, everything else that this that the guy, Matthew Bright, the writer, did was, like, exploitation. He did the Freeway movies. I don't know if you ever saw those. No. Uh, he did a Gun Crazy, which was, like, a remake of, like, a, a 50s exploitation movie. Anyway, he, he, but he's very much, and in Forbidden Zone, he's a co-writer as well. And it's, like, a lot of just, like, crude for the sake of crude shit. And so I kind of associate that with him. I'm surprised he didn't make this cruder. Well, I that's why I was confused by when he said he conceived of the idea as a raucous comedy about little people fucking each other. And then this is the movie that was made. Unless that's the gorgeous director's cut that Peter Dinklage is talking about. <laughs> I It was just a little person orgy. I don't know. I, I, I watched the this thing, which is, I guess, the fragments of whatever was left over from the original cut i don't see anything here where you could add anything to make this more interesting or more somber or better i don't i mean i feel like it has to be just as shitty oh absolutely well because i mean the the story is mainly about matthew mcconaughey not wanting to be a dad and then kate beckinsale getting pregnant and then you know the the third act is her worried that her you know child's going to be a dwarf and that's the movie. The, the dwarves are supporting characters. Uh, even Gary Oldman. Yeah, and it's not like... I don't know. You mentioned like this was in the period when Matthew McConaughey was still doing like, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days and that kind of thing. This movie feels like it could have been that. Like, he could have been a more redeemable character and learns to accept his family and his new kid and regardless of how big they're going to be and... And then they kiss at the end, and like it's one of those kind of movies, like Fool's Gold or whatever. But it's not. To its credit, it's like they're not together in the end, and she's fucking his brother. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a ridiculous film. Um, 
when so Kate Beckinsale and Matthew McConaughey they they fight and make up like twelve times in this movie. One of my notes just says, "How many times are they going to fucking make up after they have a fight about the same exact thing they had a fight three scenes ago about?" But they they've made up, and Kate Beckinsale has organized a uh, family get-together. Her parents, Matthew McConaughey's parents, who, again, are dwarves, uh, and they're going to have a a nice family dinner where, you know, uh, my parents will meet your parents. Now... And I can't remember, was she wearing a lucky hat in that scene? I don't think she was wearing a lucky hat. But Kate Beckinsale's mom uh, is is at the dwarves' house, and she sees that Matthew McConaughey's parents are dwarves, and she goes... What, you think you could have prepared us for this, you think. And then Kate Beckinsale goes, well, I didn't think it was important because now she's all high and mighty like, well, little people are people too and we I shouldn't have even had to t- tell you. You should have just been accepting. But this is the you same woman. The exact same dilemma that you are in? This is the same woman who a couple days ago drove to firefighting camp, interrupted firefighting camp training, and said, Matthew McConaughey, how dare you not tell me that your parents were little people? And now she's doing the exact same fucking thing to her mom. I mean, I think it's worse that, that one of the one of the dad the dad is Michael J. Anderson, who is apparently like a huge Trumper and right winger. That would probably make it more awkward. Um but th- this movie I I also wanted to bring up this scene because um this movie has no farts in it, but I do believe <laughs> this scene does qualify for a visit from Mr. Skids. Cause Wait it... a minute. No, isn't there a fart in the hot tub? Uh, I don't remember a fart in the hot tub. I thought there was a moment in the hot tub where she like acted like he farted. Uh, who? Peter Dinklage? Uh, yeah. The implication of that scene was that Peter Dinklage was farting in the hot tub. Oh, no. Well, if there was, I, I don't believe it was audible. Maybe she reacted to a, a fart off off screen. I thought, that's what I thought. I thought she reacted to the the feeling of farts in the in the hot tub and, like, cast a side eye at him. I, I Maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but I, I thought I remembered that in that scene. All right. Well, maybe that counts, but um, I will tell you what I do think counts. At 57 minutes and 50 seconds, Kate Beckinsale's dad tells a limerick about farts. <laughs> there was a young fellow from Sparta no, who was no. a real whiz as a farter. He'd fart anything from God Save the King to Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. He'd fart a gavotte for a starter. And then a Handelian cantata. Boost up his ass. Blast! Box! B minor mass! And then counterpoint! The Traviata! Well, no, because later on, Rosie, uh, Rosanna Arquette says, uh, talks about uh, having to wash out the skid marks in uh, uh, Peter Dinklage's underwear. Oh, well, I think that's just because he's a big drunk. Maybe he shits his I pants still think, a lot. I, th- I think if a limerick about farts counts, the implication of actual sharts also counts. See, again, we've... It, We've been over this. Shit isn't farts. But, but sharts are f- shit farts. I guess, but we don't know where the shit came from. Um, but I, I... I did enjoy the dad's fart limerick. Well, it'll be here, I assume, as the clip. Of course I played a clip of it. Um, but I just like... I just, this movie is so fucking dumb. Uh, but I guess... We're supposed to see Kate Beckinsale's uh, family as like, uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're a little too conservative. Maybe they wouldn't be accepting of the little people. And then the first thing we hear is the dad going, there once was a man from Sparta who liked to fart. And then he'd fart some Bach and he'd fart some Mozart. <laughs> It's just a weird... I don't remember what it was exactly, but that might as well have been it. And just a, it's just a weird thing. Um, but then the the joke of the scene is you think the the uh, her parents are going to be like you can't get married because uh, you know uh, his family's all little people, but instead they're like you know we had a a Jewish grandfather who's still alive and wants to come to the wedding, and he never forgave us for not having a Jewish ceremony. So if you guys could just have a Jewish wedding. That would be great. And then they're like, oh, of course. Ha ha ha. We thought you were going to disown us because uh, I'm marrying into a family of little people. 
And then we cut to the Jewish wedding that's just like in the park with one rabbi in the audience. Matthew McConaughey is wearing a yarmulke. I'm pretty sure that means that she did a Jewish wedding, right? Well, do they at least... I can't remember. Do they stamp the glass? They step on the wine glass and say Mazel Tov. And yeah, you cut to Matthew McConaughey wearing a yarmulke. But then they just cut to the crowd. There's like 12 people at their outdoor wedding ceremony and one just Jewish rabbi who I'm assuming is the grandfather. Just don't invite him to the wedding. More to the point. Matthew McConaughey is one of the whitest Southern men in, in the world. And his parents, in order to, in an effort to set up that joke of, oh, they're going to be too conservative. What are what they're going to say about this? They have to be like the most white bread. Like they don't, these seem very waspy people. They don't seem like they have Jewish heritage at all. Well, it's just, it's just they have one Jewish grandfather who's just never let it go that they didn't have a Jewish wedding ceremony. These the, old the Jewish grandfather people. had birth to the waspiest wasps ever who gave birth to this charming southern man yeah but like these people are like in their 60s how old is that fucking uncle or grandpa who fucking hated you 30 years ago when you got married he shouldn't be invited to the fucking wedding it's a mitzvah what are you gonna do Mm. (laughs) and that's the end of my notes except for the ending where i'm like wait what she's kissing fucking gary oldman now and now the movie's over like i fast forwarded to be like was there like an extra scene that makes this movie make sense like maybe they put it at the end credits. Well, the only I only have two more notes. The first is when they give birth to their child. I guess they're in a hospital specifically for little people because, like, the doctor I think is a little person. I noticed that too, and I wondered. I wondered if there were little people hospitals. I I mean it would make sense because they do have specialized you know medical needs. You would think like so there are probably yeah you clinics that specialize in them. You would yeah. think a dwarf would want a dwarf doctor. I mean if I was a dwarf, I'd probably want a dwarf doctor. Hey, you know what my body's like. But my problem with that scene is like they're in a dwarf hospital, and they're like trying to figure out like is my kid a dwarf? Which I don't think is evident by the they're just looking at them like a baby. They just look like a regular baby. I think if you're in a dwarf hospital, that dwarf doctor's gonna be like, yeah, fuck, he's a dwarf. <laughs> Like, he's not going to do his due diligence, you know? If he wasn't born a dwarf, I'll make him a dwarf. I mean, he's like, what are they? By the time they figure out he's not a dwarf, I'll be out of town. <laughs> With a big <laughs> bag of money. <laughs> How's that dwarf baby doing? Oh, no, he actually grew up to full size. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, I just it seemed like maybe there was a conflict of interest there in having a dwarf doctor diagnose dwarfism. Uh, yeah, I have no more notes. Except that this movie should have been about Peter Dinklage and Patricia Arquette. Why? Yes, they are the much more interesting characters. Patricia Arquette is introduced just sitting on the side of the highway at the beginning of the movie. Peter Dinklage and Gary Oldman drive up in their motorcycles. Peter Dinklage is like, hop on, babe. And then for the rest of them, like, I think they get married. Or I, if not married, they're just like life partners living together because they're together at the end of the movie. They're living together. And then they just sort of, like, casually break up in one scene. Yeah, and then get back together, just like everybody does in this movie. Um, they, they fuck to reggae songs. And then, why? What's with Peter Dinklage's cornrows at the wedding? Again, that's... This is, like, one of those things I, I, I notice when I, when I know that a, a movie had a trouble production and had, like, different edits and everything. Like, I wonder... Like, was there a scene where he got those cornrows and, like, that scene was sacrificed for this edit? Or if they had to do reshoots and Peter Dinklage was like, well, I have cornrows now. (laughs) I'm going through a thing. Well, I don't, that's the thing. I don't know if they did a lot of reshoots necessarily because this is, like, when when they take it out of the, take him out of the editing room, I feel like they had all the stuff. They just, you know, edited it together in a weird fucking way where the the middle's at the end. I guess if they did reshoots on this, uh, they did not do their job correctly. Because you could make this movie make sense with just like, just Matthew McConaughey says, hey, we're going to go to a dwarf party and here's who's throwing the dwarf party so the audience isn't confused. I can't remember what the line is now, but they did like a very obvious ADR line when he's going through like the dwarf party. I can't remember what it was now, but it was like he passes by a pillar and like says an entire sentence. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and why is it called Tiptoes? I was expecting one of them to, like, want to be a dancer, like a Strictly Ballroom kind of thing or something. But, yeah, that never happened. 
Or maybe or like a, a Billy Elliot. Yeah. yeah. Or is is it because like you know if you're a little person you got to stand on your tippy toes to like to kiss a lady, and it's like a romantic comedy with dwarves. I guess. I I mean tiptoes. That makes some sense, except there is no romantic comedy element with a dwarf in the movie. No. I, I mean, the side characters, I guess you can consider Peter Dinklage and that like sort of a romantic comedy thing, but like it's not like that's the story. Like, he's a little person and I'm a regular sized person. Can we fall in love? Like, that's not the movie. Yeah, but that would be a way more interesting movie. Honestly, and if you did it like those sort of late 90s, early 2000s romantic comedies, you know, like everything that date movie parodied. And like just did it straight up like that. I think it would be interesting. Yeah, well, because it, it's just weird that it's like, okay, yeah, this is the movie about about little people, but our main characters are two people who aren't little people, and uh, that's just that's just weird. <laughs> like I, like I said, I want a movie with Peter Dinklage and Patricia Arquette. Um, were they even in? Okay, back to the wedding scene. You're at the wedding. There's twelve people old jewish rabbi in the uh, in the crowd and then like up on the top of the hill peter dinklage and patricia arquette are like having a picnic watching the wedding maybe they weren't invited because they like well i don't even know what their relation is to these people well that's true but whose relationship do you you don't think peter dinklage got invited to matthew mcconaughey's wedding <laughs> he's such an integral part of their, their lives i'm surprised <laughs> david allen greer then? wasn't at the wedding <laughs> is he in <laughs> Just fucking any any uh, little person trim he can find, uh, but no, uh, because it, what is he their uncle or something? I who Dinklage? Yeah, no, I like think is he Dinklage is just like Gary Oldman's buddy, I think. Because like the thing is, I, there's a, that was the other thing casting Gary Oldman as Matthew McConaughey's twin, even though like they're eleven years apart. Like if you told me that Peter Dinklage was supposed to be like older than uh gary oldman's character i'd believe you because like i don't think how this movie knows how to like balance ages properly uh well i can suspend my disbelief on 11 years old yeah, actors are actors but he does he does well they also don't look like twins either <laughs> like they look nothing well, fraternal alike. twins fraternal <laughs> twins true. don't look like twins they're just born they're just the same age uh that's true but yeah no nobody's relationship to anybody in this movie is is clear at all like, how long have Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale been dating? It makes no sense that they know nothing about each other's families. Well, I can't, cause I can't remember that. Were they, was she already his fiance at that point? I believe so. So, like, we've established that he st- she still hasn't met his family. Because, like, I was turning into, like, that fucking Tina Fey deal breaker's character. Like, you're this far into the relationship and you haven't met his family? That's a fucking deal breaker. Yeah, no, it's... Like I said, no one's relationship to anybody is is clear in this movie at all. I, who the fuck was David Allen Greer? See, I my maybe I just thought of this and it like it wasn't actually in the movie. I could have sworn he was like Matthew McConaughey, like he was the son of a little person. Well, I thought when they called him Junior, I thought they were making a reference to Sammy Davis Junior. I don't know. I mean, he could just be a random celebrity. I don't know. And why was it David Allen Greer as opposed to anyone anyone else? Um, I do like the fact that like maybe he's just like a faded star of something, and now he does MC work, and he the the, the little people paid him to MC their thing, and then he just like stuck around. <laughs> How many of these ladies can I fuck? Hey, you guys have any more uh, little people functions? Like, no, nah, this was our big event for the year. I mean, um, you know, somebody's throwing a party with a bunch of little people. Oh, I'll MC that. No, we're not gonna. We don't need an MC for the party. I'll show up at the party. But yeah, I don't know. I I feel like like that would make that thread much more funny if we could like follow his character a little more. But yeah. Uh, anything else for tiptoes? Oh no, the only other note I had because this is just how fucking awful I am as a person. Uh, the scene where uh, like it's after the baby's been born and he's crying and they have they have an argument and like he like pushes her into the other room and is like say what he is he's a dwarf he's a dwarf like that scene and then it like fades and then it's him like sad on the stairs but it's like a cross fade to the same scene or same location and it's clearly like one of those edits like the 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 studio insisted on i'm wondering what the original version of that was because in my head it was like he beats her or something like when you go into like another room like that like and in my head i was like 
is he going to like snap the baby's neck to spare him a life of being a little person? And then there were multiple moments in the movie where I thought that was going to happen. Like when Gary Oldman takes the baby and he's looking at him, I'm thinking like, is he just going to reach down and snap this baby's neck? And then later when Matthew McConaughey's looking at his baby, I'm like, is he going to snap that little person baby's neck? I mean, it would have been better than the nothing that we got. For like multiple points in the movie, I keep like, is this going to turn into like the Joy Luck Club for little person babies? <laughs> And there's nothing in the movie to really indicate that. I just, for some reason, that's in my head. No, there's, I, I can't, I can't believe you were expecting any kind of plot (laughs) an hour and 20 minutes into this movie. Well, knowing this is also the guy who did the freeway movies, which are very exploitative, I was waiting for the twist into the, the exploitative absurd. You know, I was waiting for like, I was waiting for it to start feeling like a trauma movie halfway through and it never did. Uh, and I have uh, I have nothing else for this film. I'm out of notes. I'm scanning the movie. We've talked about everything it's, that I could think to talk about. Well, that's the thing about this movie. It's not. It's you mentioned. It's not so bad. It's good. It's not good enough to be actually good. It's not like a pumpkin scenario where it's in bad taste, but I could get on its wavelength. And that's. It. Have you ever seen, I, I don't know if you watched it with us or not, on my other podcast with Nate, I, I we watched years ago, we watched a movie called Max My Love. Uh, no, I've never seen that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's got Charlotte Rampling in it. she and fucks she a monkey. Fu- she fucks a monkey. But the movie is not that interesting. It's not that well executed. It's, you know, for, other than the fact that that's the story, like that's the only weird thing about it. It's otherwise just a regular movie. And this felt like that to me, like this should be way fucking crazier than it is. It should have like, try like predicted like a snakes on a plane kind of scenario and just like you know gone over the top with it rather than try to make like a legitimate movie yeah no if you're expecting a crazy movie you're not going to get it from tiptoes but if you're expecting a colossal mess of a film (laughs) you get exactly what you bargain for with tiptoes i will say it gets me i'm close to like a master of disguise or uh um uh, what was the movie, the musical with Nick Nolte that wasn't a musical? Oh, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm. I'm kind of in that range where like the behind the scenes of this and what this movie originally was like that is a little interesting to me to kind of dissect. But outside of that, it's not really something I would recommend. Yeah, well, I would be really interested in watching the director's cut to see if it's anything coherent because yeah this movie is just not coherent you can't tell who any of the people are you don't know what they're doing what their motivations are and then when you think you figured it out it changes on a dime yeah no it definitely feels like the mismatched pieces of a different movie not to say that that would be a better movie but i'm curious yeah what that would be i mean we talk about the snyder cut and the air cut of suicide squad and i want the matthew bright cut of tiptoes (laughs) not the bill wiener version that we got all right, I've uh, I've spun my wheel. Any interest in Mrs. Henderson presents? I have no idea what that is. I literally cannot have interest in it. Uh, Christopher Guest is in it. It's where Judy Dench uh, starts a a nudie show in uh, Britain, and you see Bob uh. Hoskins' penis in it. Stop selling me, George. Stop selling me. <laughs> you see, you see Bob Hoskins' penis. <laughs> The late, great Bob Hoskins' fucking Hoskins. Um, well, let's see. I got My Father the Hero. Ooh, <laughs> I could watch that. Uh, okay, that or uh, Roseanne, an unauthorized biography starring Denny Dillon. Oh, you know, we're the only two people who, when we hear the prospect of that, go like, ooh, you know, I do want to see that. I was going to say, let's see if it's still on YouTube. I know it was at one point. The television movie about Roseanne starring SNL alum Denny Dillon, where Roseanne was like, I'm not that fat. No. It's, oh, shit. I don't see it on the YouTubes anymore. Oh, no. Well. Yeah. No. It used to be. Roseanne, an unauthorized biography, is no longer on YouTube, and I don't know if we'll be able to find it any, anywhere else. My father, the hero, is still the most viable option. See if we can find anything. I got uh, Joe versus the volcano, which I've always wanted to watch. Uh, I think that's just that's a good movie. 
I don't know. Is it? I think. It's been a while since I've seen it. Well, I got Ed, the uh, Joey, or the, uh, um, the Matt LeBlanc and a monkey baseball movie. Why was I trying to think? I was thinking Matthew Lawrence, not Matt LeBlanc. Um, yeah, no, Matt LeBlanc playing baseball with a monkey. Okay, that's that's doable. All right, either that or the SNL episode hosted by Garth Brooks musical guest Chris Gaines. <laughs> You know, of all the ones you could have thrown at me, that was probably the most interesting one. I do want to see that. I mean, is it as interesting as I might think it would be? I don't remember. I know... Because I feel like that might be a disappointment. I know Chris Gaines uh, has an affair with Mango at one point. (laughs) Okay. See, you almost had me there. Uh, actually, alright. Well, yeah, the Garth Brooks episode with Chris Gaines, uh, there's only one Chris Gaines musical performance, and then outside of that, it's just a good episode. It's just good sketches. Mm. I got Matt LeBlanc playing baseball with a monkey. Uh, I'm cool with that. Because <laughs> I, I, I think that over My Father the Hero, just because we just watched Bogus, and I can't deal with another disappointing George Bardu performance. Uh, yeah, because then I just I rolled uh, the Richmeister. So, see, yours is too much <laughs> SNL for this SNL podcast. <laughs> uh, right. You need more movies on there that have no relation to SNL. Uh, there's a couple on there, um, but yeah, maybe Ed is, was already on there. Oh no! Is I, there anybody I, in SNL? Uh, no, there's in nobody Ed? on in F from SNL and Ed. Otherwise, if there was, we would have fucking watched that movie by now. Um, it's it's three non SNL movies in a row, but I mean, if you want to throw, for a do base, you have a movie? Do you have an SNL movie? Maybe that isn't a shitty SNL episode. Uh, probably. Um, but for it's Matt LeBlanc playing baseball with a monkey. I mean, I feel like you're trying to make me feel guilty for taking over this podcast and changing the premise. No, I I kind of want to watch Matthew Matt LeBlanc play baseball with a monkey. See, and that's the thing. You need to take responsibility for us watching Matt LeBlanc play baseball with a monkey. All right. I'm down for Matt LeBlanc playing baseball with a monkey. All right. So it's Ed next week. Next week, <laughs> we'll be watching the movie Ed starring Matt LeBlanc and a monkey. I don't think there's a real monkey in this movie. It's all, like, guy in a suit monkey, right? Um, I think there, it's both. I, I I mean, I've never seen it. I've only seen the trailers, but I feel like it was... I know I would remember if, like, a real chimp was playing baseball. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they use a stand-in for that, but I think, I think they have a real monkey for some of it. And then a fake oh, monkey maybe. for well, probably most of it. Could it have been a CGI monkey? I mean, that would have been, no. what, like 96, 96? I think? 96, no. I'm looking at images now. Um, this looks like a guy in a monkey suit. <laughs> this all... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm more excited for that. This all looks like guy in a monkey suit. Um, I think we have different sensibilities when it comes to monkey movies. You, I think you'd prefer to see a real monkey that's trained. I'd prefer to see a guy in a suit. Uh, it could be Peter Dinklage in that monkey suit. <laughs> Or just that guy that looks like him from No Holds Barred. It's probably who it is. It's probably the dwarf who's not Peter Dinklage and No Holds Barred in that it's monkey probably, suit. It's uh, probably Peter, Peter Dinklage's uh, double, like that fucking Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Enemy. <laughs> That's just been sort of echoing his life. Okay, well, I guess for next week, we'll be watching Matt LeBlanc play baseball with a monkey. So is there any other business on the show? And I'll find a way to connect that to Saturday Night Live. Actually, I've already done it because uh, there's a sketch where Jim Brewer plays Matt LeBlanc and he's holding a monkey. I think it's in the Phil Hartman episode really? of season 21. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, and I, and there's no way that I will believe for a second that we're going to get through this entire movie and that monkey doesn't fart. So I think Mr. Skids is going to have some oh, fun. Oh, there's got to be. There's got to be some farts. If not from the monkey. Jack Warden probably blows ass once or twice in that film. I mean, it will amaze me if there is no fart whatsoever in this film. Alright, we'll stay. There's gotta be a scene where they're together, and he's like, oh, I think maybe you are my pal, monkey. And then he farts, and he's like, I don't like you anymore. Uh, maybe he farts the baseball out of the stadium. That's like the, remember the last scene in Maverick where he throws the card in slow motion? That's the last shot he 
farts out the baseball. Da, 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 da. Nothing in the rule book says a monkey can't fart a baseball into the crowd. I guess that's five points. All right. <laughs> Wait, did five people cross the base? No, I'm just making up the rule as we say it. Five points for a farty baseball. It just looked like a five-pointer to me. All right, so next week, farting monkeys, playing baseball, and uh, the downfall of the movie career of a friend's TV star. Until we see you for that, get off the shed. Get off the shed. Oh,